arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. I was talking to a fellow today on the radio uh, from out there and he said, well, why is it? that people don't understand, don't talk about William Mulholland more. We know that there's a Mulholland Drive, but we don't know what he did. And I, part of it has to do with the myth of Chinatown, which suggests that uh, the whole bringing of water to Los Angeles was a cynical, uh, criminal, uh, quasi-criminal cabal between business people and politicians that took place back in the 30s. But there's, no, there's never been any evidence uh, of that. In fact, some people did make uh, large sums of money because they owned land in the San Fernando Valley or bought it when they learned the aqueduct was coming. But Mulholland was never involved with any of that. He never made a penny more than the, his $15,000 civil servant salary at, a, at its zenith. And as he was fond of saying, well, show me a place to bring the water to Los Angeles where somebody doesn't own the land. And uh, he decried the whole notion of people uh, profiting off the idea of bringing water to the people. Bringing water to the people was the only thing that mattered to him. Good evening, everyone. That was the beginning of a lecture by Les Standerford, author of Water to the Angels. William Mulholland, his monumental aqueduct, and the rise of Los Angeles. First, let me say that Time Portal Alpha, a science fiction odyssey, is what it says it is, a science fiction and time travel book. During my time in Southern California, I often wondered what it would be like if Mulholland's project had never taken place or was out of sync with our timeline. The whole story of Mulholland and Fred Eaton traveling north to the Owens Valley to scout out the land, or should I say, the water, is magical in itself. Now I understand that nefarious people made money on inside information. Bill Mulholland was not one of them. We see what happens to the timeline through the eyes of Commander Mark McKenna, and it's not a pretty sight. I don't claim to know exactly what would have happened if the California aqueduct wasn't built when it was built, but I know what Mulholland knew. It was damned important to foster business and residential expansion in Los Angeles. I suggest reading Standerford's book and others about the project after you've listened to my book, of course. Speaking of which, no more from the illustrious Mr. Fitton. Here is Time Portal Alpha, a science fiction odyssey, one of my favorites to research and write, by Robert P. Fitton, out of the gates and into the valley. Prologue, post-Countervale Project, Space Force W, Joint Command, above Denver, Colorado, January 6, 2079. Kill me while you can. There once was a boy who crushed his toys until at the pinnacle of his fun he had none, or so said the fairy tale. Lieutenant Commander Annie Ryan repeated what she had outlined three times, but Commander Mark McKenna's shock left him without words. Dr. Nico Morrow, a brilliant scientist and flamboyant personality, had committed espionage against the United States of America. Annie had found a portion of his activities in an obscure cloud audit in Carnivale's main computers. 
McKenna studied the line items. Nico had been moving materials out of Space Force W's warehouse 22,000 miles from Earth in Settlement 6. Why would Nico move anything? If he needed materials, he could get a requisition for what he wants, said the auburn-haired McKenna. How long has this been going on, Annie? 2075. The individual panel light blinked slowly, producing a melodic background of beeps and clicks. What? McKenna stood upright in his royal blue uniform, consisting of a shirt with the gold Space Force W ship on the shoulder and three stripes for his commander's bars situated on his upper arm. I understand Nico's brilliance. Any planning for trips through the Obersee were theorized by Nico and Nico alone. Well, the evidence for the theft is overwhelming, Mark. It's only because of the algorithms I found this at all. And it appears that Dave Forrestal had been coordinating all this for Morrow. Nico always has to stage the grand performance for his own ego. Anything accomplished at Countervale was blown up into a celebration of Nico. He did this and he did that. McKenna's face tightened. Where and what, Annie? I need to reconfigure the materials list. Somebody has changed the designated items so they can't be identified. Oh, I'm stunned, he said with a sarcastic swirl in his voice. I know he never really liked me. He considered you a threat. Jealousy is often evidenced by hatred. Right. I just never suspected he'd do anything so rogue, let alone get caught. But there is an evil side to Nico. Evil? McKenna nodded. You could see it when you spoke with him. His eyes, they're demonic. That's rather scary, Mark. I thought so. Shall I call Admiral McNulty about the theft? McKenna shook his head. No, not yet. And you're saying there's no evidence anywhere of what he took. Not without the algorithms. This can only mean one thing, said McKenna. While McNulty has this running simulation after simulation of the Oversea in this space station, a station that was not made for scientific research, I might add, Nico, I believe, has created a way to enter the Oversea. Getting into another dimension has never been done. Get Will McGrath up here. I want to check that navigation and find somebody to take readings on the dimensional displacements opening another dimension. Annie's chocolate eyes focused on McKenna before she spoke. Dr. Morrow always said that such entry was possible. More than that, Annie, it's a perfect hiding place for whatever he's stealing. McGrath's full Manchu mustache appeared in a wispy mass, just as McKenna had remembered when they joined Space Force W to defend the country from foreign invaders two years ago. McGrath liked the party even more than the demonstrative McKenna. Did I drag you out of a precarious situation, Will? asked McKenna. The broad-shouldered McGrath wore a cut-off shirt and jeans. Annie, see what we have for uniforms here for Lieutenant Commander McGrath. What do you know about Nico Morrow? asked McKenna as the two men sat down in front of the window span overlooking Earth and the Rocky Mountains below. Well, he's a card cheat. McKenna tilted his head. How do you know that, Will? You're in some kind of poker league? I know guys that were consistently screwed by his bullshit. 
Even Violet Winters, she plays cards. <laughs> she does a lot of things. Snickered McKenna. You got that right. She says for sure that Nico has some way of cheating that she can't figure out. What about with Space Force W? McGrath shrugged his shoulders. You know, he was brought in through the outside. I believe it was the European Consortium. It was a major score landing him. If he can put up with his mouth. He has a bad temper, Mark. McKenna formed a computer screen in the glass span. A greasy and sleazy looking man, standing at a hefty six foot four in his green lab coat, raised his inflammatory voice, seething with anger as he screamed at three women subordinates about a year ago. His dark, foreboding eyes bothered McKenna. His temper will be the death of him, Mark, said McGrath, encapsulating the general opinion of the man. Don't leave out impulsive, but brilliant, said McGrath. Mark, I'm going to need help with this, said Annie. Personnel who have scientific knowledge. Space Force W is loaded with science and tracking people, said McGrath. Daniel Meyer, they call him Rasputin. Who the hell is he, Annie? asked McKenna, standing. And George Steuben. He's an engineer. Rasputin, to answer your question, is scientifically bright. He can figure out if Nico has unlocked the Oversea, as will that real-time hologram he and his people have perfected. Yes, the Ultra Image. Just find out what he did and where he went. George Steuben, a dark goateed man with a slightly accented deep voice, had a serious face and smiled abruptly. McKenna stepped aside the conference table. Mark McKenna, Steuben also had an incredible grip. Georges, you've had experience with the Obersee. I have when I worked in Frankfurt. We were consistently opening the atomic level dimensions, very small scale stuff. Has anyone performed that feat on a larger scale where a man could enter that dimension? Fear a vehicle or a bubble that would sustain air? Theoretically, it is possible, said Steuben. McNulty has spoken about it. A raspy voice spoke from behind the table. It's just not possible. It's probable. Cosmic strings in a closed loop. Those strings, by vibrating, grind up space-time into negative energy within the bubble, more likely than stabilizing it. Gentlemen, said Annie, meet the incomparable Rasputin. McKenna moved up to the taller, slim man with a beard. By God, you look like the real Rasputin. With intense blue eyes, he spoke with conviction. I am cleverer, I am smarter, and will not die by gunshot wounds from an assassin. Well, that's reassuring, said McKenna with a smile. So you think Dr. Morrow could have accomplished this feat of entering the Oversea? The snap answer, Commander, is yes. But I don't think he's done it quickly. The Oversea is one of an infinite number of dimensions. As you know, to enter the Oversea, you must be able to produce an inversion layer. That's not easy and requires knowledge and the means to do so. I don't know if Dr. Morrow or anyone from the old Section 5 of Countervale has reached that level. Maybe he hasn't, said McGrath. He's hidden everything else from us. Maybe he had a breakthrough somewhere else. Believe you're on to something, Will, said McKenna. There's a control area in this space station. Let's begin monitoring for a dimensional opening. 
Rasputin slowly stroked his beard. Dimensional openings without a bubbled insulator need to be sealed with uranium atoms, said Rasputin. Any unusual shipments of uranium should be monitored. And if he had movement within the Oversea, he could go anywhere in the present. But that doesn't mean that he has the ability to navigate backward in the Oversea. Agreed, said McKenna. The bubble is a self-contained secondary dimension that allows air consumption, said Steuben in his deep voice. McKenna folded his arms. What about this ultra image? How do you duplicate reality into an interactive hologram? The power from the oversea travel, Mark, said Steuben, would emanate at the atomic level from the open dimension and form such a template such as the old 3D printers. Unless... He has shielded it, said Rasputin. Well, let's hope not. Get on it. I'll check with you guys later. Nice to meet you both. What about me? asked McGrath. I already know you, said McKenna, smiling. But nobody's holding that against me. Annie, munching on a slice of cheese pizza, sat across from McKenna in front of the earth window span. McKenna finished chewing his pizza slice. He lifted another piece and chewed again as he spoke. I gave everything to that man at Carnivale. It wasn't enough. I guess some people just rub other people the wrong way. He sent me on fool's errands. He made things difficult. Okay, I can take all that if we were a step closer to the overseer and moving backward in time. It was as if he were hoarding his knowledge. Maybe he was said Annie, holding a container bottle of hot tea. I had a professor at MIT who did exactly that. Did he get caught? By the wife, but that's another story. McKenna smiled and wiped his mouth. He drank a soft drink from his containment bottle. I say Nico wanted to get removed from Countervale. Maybe. Every time I had a success, it was as if I were intruding on his power. Plus, he hated the United States. I don't even think he had a home country. He was born in northern Italy, but he's lived all over the place. He would say it was unfair that the United States became a world power. Let's change the subject. Okay. You have a girl, Commander? McKenna grinned. You volunteering? She lowered her teeth. No, I'm married. Oh. Chris teaches at the Air Force Academy, aviation mechanics. I'm six months off, six months on. What about you? Her name was, or is, Beth, Beth Daniels, and she's real tough to get along with. All men say that. No, she's a spoiled corporate brat who moved from city to city. J.S. Daniels gave her everything she wanted and still does. She expects it. I haven't seen Beth in three weeks. McKenna removed his last pizza slice from the process oven. How did you link up with her? Admiral McNulty was buddy-buddy with Daniels, and his daughter needed a date. She was nice until she hooked me in. Interesting. All right, I know what you're thinking. The cocksure McKenna led around by a leash. The way I look at it, she said with a huffy laugh, you're not on anyone's leash, sir. His communications device, about the size of a medium mobile phone, sounded. Your zoozer is buzzing. Thank you, mother. He leaned back and laughed. McKenna, Georgie's, what have you got? 
Kenna gobbled up the last of the creamy cheese and tomato sauce. Good news. Rasputin detected an opening uh, for mere five seconds in Thailand. McKenna stood and wiped his hands. Great work. We'll tell Rasputin great work. Any updates, call me. McKenna out. He turned to Annie. Annie, request a re-entry vehicle. Destination inputted for Thailand. I'll get a special ops team from McNulty. What's going on? asked Annie. A break. Possibly a dimensional break in Thailand of all places. Then he looked into her eyes. Annie, when I give you the coordinates, we need to tap all available web and satellite cams into the area to spot Nico. I'll be below. I await your call. McKenna peered out the window as McGrath guided the re-entry craft through the atmosphere. Rasputin held both sides of a scanner that reflected blue light over his beard. They were supposed to meet a special ops leader named Cameron Olney outside the Hotel Raccoons near Bangkok, Thailand. In his surveillance file, the bulky Dr. Nico Morrow had straight dark hair and a mean look in his coal eyes as he walked down the third floor corridor of the hotel. On his right hand's third finger was a steel ring with a cluster of hemlock flowers on the third finger of his right hand, and he wore a purple rose in his lapel. Yet there were no images of Nico entering the hotel. I remember that ring. He said he was afraid of nothing, even drinking hemlock, like he just dropped in on that hotel, said McGrath. Well, maybe he did, replied Rasputin. McKenna turned to the bearded Rasputin. What do you read? Unusual energy, he looked up. Unexplainable. McKenna leaned forward. He's in there only because only told us they had seen this card or video. Why would he allow himself to be videoed? asked McGrath. McKenna opened up the channel. Only, do you see Dr. Morrow? Commander McKenna, there's no sign of Dr. Morrow. Last seen three hours ago on the third floor. Will, when will we be at the hotel? Ten minutes, Mark. Only! Only, we'll be there in ten minutes. My team is ready, sir. How old are you, Only? Nineteen, sir. McKenna raised his brow and looked at Rasputin. Kids got leadership. Yeah, or what they used to call testosterone, said McGrath. Moxie, added McKenna. Speaking of which, Will. I need you to very stealthily search room by room for Nico. All three floors in the basement. Is the standing order still in effect, Mark? Get him, said McKenna, almost growling. He had been humiliated too many times by Nico. Rasputin, what is the source of that energy? Possibly his ultra-image work or a diversion. I don't know. And I don't see any frequencies associated with a dimensional opening. Then, gentlemen, we may be fighting an ultra-image here. Only six foot three, two hundred thirty-five pounds, had a dark buzz cut that had slightly grown out. He had midnight eyes and a smooth white skin face with scattered freckles. Like McKenna, he was from Ohio and probably could play in the old National Football League. To his left, Rasputin looked baffled by his scanner. 
Mark, you better take a look at this. What do you have? A series of surveillance videos from the outside parking lot showed a white Rover van parked in the scanned space. Many of the men from Carnivale who left the project with Nico exited the Rover van. McKenna pushed his archive button on his Zuzer as he spoke their names. Archive personnel, note, 6th January 2079, men leaving the Hotel Raccoons near Bangkok, Thailand. Thomas Gaudet, Herm Perez, Alan Gorton, David Forrestal, Richard Hunter, Frank Baker, and Fred Dyer. All men whom I worked with at Carnivale five years ago. They were in Section 5, Nico's Inner Circle. Apparently now they're colluding with Dr. Nico Morrow, and I'm working on the images. He paused the archive button. Not good. Gaudet is a big guy, very powerful. The pimsqueak is Alan Gorton. He's an expert on oversea theory. If he's so brilliant, why aren't they traveling within the oversea? Asked Annie on the speaker. McKenna looked up at her in the overhead monitor. I rest my case. It's very possible that Gordon may have helped Morrow accomplish that feat. Arrival by Rover Van could be a diversion. I'm aware of that. The wavy blonde-haired guy Forrestal is a strategist. He sees the big picture. What about Hunter and Perez? Asked Annie. Grunts and rabble-rouses. They like melting off in bars. All five men moved along the sidewalk to the wide-winged hotel. They split apart once they reached the staircase. Only, said McKenna, pushing the Zuza communications button. Cam here. Only, Cam. Cam, why are these men here? Why is Nico here? Cam held his laser rifle upward. The fact that all Counterville men are here means he needs protection, sir. Meeting with some real charmers, that's for sure. I don't know how he got into the hotel. But where the hell is he now? asked McKenna. Will, what have you found? Nothing, Mark. Tons of energy waves and no Nico. Sir, said Kim. What are Admiral McNulty's orders? The Admiral likes to prepare the best attack plan. Oh, McNulty likes to plan, said McKenna to Rasputin, the frustration evident in his voice. The standing order from above McNulty and my direct order is to kill Morrow. He's a worldwide threat. Maybe he's testing usage of the oversea, said Rasputin. Steuben, back at the station, spoke clearly. Mark, I'm getting an odd assortment of electromagnetic waves from that hotel on the third and second floors. Cam. Sir. Get your men up to the roof and then come down. I want to know what's going on up there. I'll send McGrath to the top. I'll be with him, sir. McKenna raised his brows to Rasputin on the screen. I like this kid. He feels like a son to me. Mark. You're only 30 years old, said Rasputin. You would have become a father at age 11. Do tell, said McKenna, and he pushed the Zuzer button. I want to be clear. You know my orders with Morrow. We are to kill Morrow on sight, said Rasputin. No exceptions. He's a total threat. Three hours later, both Rasputin and Steuben reported the hotel's internal temperature had reached 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The electromagnetic waves disrupted communications. Cam found no sign of Nico or the men who had entered the hotel earlier in the afternoon. Management is evacuating hotel, said Cam. 
We're doing a room-by-room -room search with Will McGrath, fire and police personnel. What's the temperature now? Kenner asked Rasputin. 103 degrees. What the hell is Nico doing? Mark, this is McGrath. I've just spoken to one of the policemen. They checked the boiler downstairs. It's not even on. It is possible to generate heat by opening a dimension, said Rasputin. more that's open, the greater the energy output without the inversion layer. Damn him, shouted McKenna as he ran over to Annie on the monitor. Computer projections, Annie. We have no way to monitor the opening of a dimension, but the computers can extrapolate by the amount of energy and opening on the third floor. Commander, said Rasputin. I would advise, with the heat and energy rise, that we consider leaving the area completely. Noted. McKenna placed his fingers into a triangle as he thought. If this thing goes up, Rasputin... The hotel will be destroyed. Have the local fire and police get everyone out of here, and we'll set up an outpost five miles from here on the hill. If he gets the power to travel in the overseas, Mark, then he can do whatever he wants in the timeline, said Annie. McKenna looked through the mags as he leaned on the stone balcony rail five miles from the hotel. McGrath and Cam also focused their mags on the hotel. A yellow-orange flash preceded a rumble like an earthquake. When the flash subsided, only a twisted mass of smoldering metal supports and chunks of walls jutted out from a rubble pit. Prodigious power, said McKenna, keeping his mags on the destroyed hotel. I'm sure we got everyone out, sir. Kenna nodded again. I want to know one thing. Where is Dr. Morrow? From the orbiting space station three weeks later, the gray-haired McNulty spoke from Space Force W in a lower Earth orbit. His raspy voice made him seem older than 55 years old. McKenna stood facing the huge center screen. Few people, including Annie and McGrath, stood behind him. McNulty ordered McKenna into a private viewer room. We have recovered a steel ring. A cluster ring, added McKenna. How did you know that? I remember that ring when I worked for him. We must assume that Nico is dead. Not only do we have that ring, but bones from his hand. The genetic component matches his personnel file. I would assume nothing, sir. You know how clever Dr. Morrow can be. That was an official report, Mark, and I have good news for you. McKenna paused, still questioning whether Nico was dead. Sir? We have authorized, because of Dr. Morrow's rogue research, a more accelerated developmental program within Space Force W. What exactly do you mean, sir? A deep space research station, 20,000 plus miles out of Earth orbit. The station will engage in the same work that Dr. Morrow may have advanced. You have been selected, Mark, to bring this project forward as Commander Mark McKenna. Will this be a conventional space station? This station will be capable of tremendous power. Power to open up the overseas and eventually to move personnel back and forth in time. This station will be known by its official name, Time. Portal Alpha. Chapter 1 Funhouse Park, Los Angeles, California, 
July 8th, 2084. The World in Turmoil. Archive 487, July 7th, 2084. Commander Mark McKenna, Time Portal Alpha reporting. I have allotted time in Southern California to meet with my brother Steve and his wife Lisa, my niece and nephew Jen and Scooter. We'll be having some fun at Funhouse Park before I am interviewed by a former girlfriend, Beth Daniels, about my work. Space Force W's policy prohibits the leaking of project data to the press, although Beth is very persistent to say the least. The process of traveling from space to Earth is very simple now that we have broken the dimensional barrier and can have limited travel within the Obasi. McKenna raised his arms upward and screamed insanely as the clogger, a massive super roller coaster, pitched toward the ground. He could never figure out the thrill of feeling with certainty he was able to die, but he never did, and the roller coaster leveled out and horizontally came to a stop. Steve laughed along with Lisa, hoping to catch McKenna in a state of fright. McKenna would never let down his facade of invincibility in front of his brother and wife. A ride attendant unlocked the bar. McKenna was the first one out and helped Jen and Scooter out of the car. Were you scared, Uncle Mark? asked Jen, her blonde hair rippling in the wind. You know Uncle Mark never gets scared, said Steve. Were you scared, Jen? asked McKenna. Oh no, Uncle Mark, not me! Eight years old and she was already covering. McKenna knew the feeling. Well, I was scared as hell, said Scooter. Scooter, watch your language, said Lisa half-heartedly as she swore all the time anyway. She had Jen's blonde hair. Scooter's brown hair matched Steve and McKenna's hair. Are we going on again, asked Scooter. I thought you were scared, asked McKenna. Give me a few minutes, I have to make a phone call. Must be wonderful being on call 24-7, said Steve. Comes with the territory, brother, said McKenna, talking over his shoulder as he ran up the hill for privacy. Are you going back to Ohio to Mom and Dad? He cupped his hand from the top of the knoll. For a day or two, and then I'll be back. McKenna rounded the building into an alley. They knew his cover, being with intelligence, and they were used to his occasionally dropping out of sight. If they only knew the truth about Time Portal Alpha. Once behind a spreading oak, he spoke out loud. He held his Zuzer, an all-encompassing computer, scanner, and communicator, bulkier than a portable phone. Zuzer, open shield. Since Nico's disappearance five years ago, and with the construction of Time Portal Alpha, he and his team had made great progress. A thin line like the frame of a doorway formed in the air. McKenna walked into another dimension, controlled and contained, unlike the dimensional overload that destroyed the Hotel Raccoos. This neutral timeline of the Oversea was a perfect stealth research area. The outside world became a wavy image at first and then focused back as he stood. Trying to contact Time Portal Alpha outside the Oversea brought the risk of being monitored. He could speak freely within the Oversea bubble. He left the Zuzer setting on audio. McKenna. Mark, this is Steuben, said his matter-of-fact systems engineer. What's the problem, Georgies? You want to ride the clogger coaster here at Funhouse Park? My niece and nephew are waiting for me, and my brother has dinner reservations in Reseda. Mark, there's a minute variation in the time striations I'm monitoring. McKenna tightened his brow. Are you there, Mark? 
Yeah, I'm here. I'm just wondering why the variation. I know part of our job is to monitor the rogue members of Carnivale tampering with our timeline. Are you sure this isn't a naturally occurring event? No, sir. I traced it to the Martian moon Phobos. That's odd. Have you notified McNulty? asked McKenna. I'm waiting for his return call. I just hope it's not Nico. McKenna responded with a head movement resembling a tick. Nico is dead. We were there when they decimated the hotel in Thailand. Do you want to see the screen, Commander? asked Steuben. Yes, I do, and then I have to get back. Visual on, Steuben. Steuben's black goatee was profiled briefly, and then he shifted to the round sweeper screen in front of his console. McKenna zoomed in on the simulated blue lines, pulsing every few seconds from Phobos above Mars, just as Steuben had said. McKenna pursed his lips. Where's the rest of the crew? Grath is at a football game in Florida. Annie is with her sisters off the coast of Georgia. Cam is partying somewhere in Texas. I'll have to locate him. Well, what about Rasputin? asked McKenna. Library of Congress. Library of Congress? McKenna forged an incredulous face. When's the last time we observed any striations, Georgies? Been seven months, and that was on Earth. And it turned out to be unproven. All right, contact the team and brief them. If the intensity increases, call me, and I'll decide about returning to TPA. And thanks for alerting me, I think. Don't mention it, said Steuben with the evidence of a grin. Again, McKenna paused. Nico's ego had disrupted Carnivale, and his evil intent had violated all moral and legal rules. Dr. Nico Moro was presumed dead, and his evil genius may have disappeared in the alleged dimensional opening at the Thai Hotel. Nico was not just jealous of McKenna. He was a cheat, a liar, and an ambitious genius. McKenna, after all this time, was still unnerved by images of Nico's flamboyant dress and purple rose in his lapel. McKenna later proved after the destruction of the hotel that Nico, while he was director of Carnivale, had been disseminating secure data to a contact in Croatia. The contact was later murdered. In the twisted metal of the Raku's Hotel, Nico's steel ring with a cluster of hemlock flowers was found in the rubble. There were finger and wrist bones, but the rest of the body was never found. McKenna spoke again. Suzer, close screen. The screen disappeared. Open shield and move me back two minutes on the timeline. The outside plaza and the people walking reset like a video pushed back into place. The sunlight crossed his face and he quickly rounded the building. Steve held ice cream cones in his hand and passed them on to Scooter and Jen. Everything all right in the world of intelligence? Asked Steve as he turned to McKenna walking toward the concession. As okay as possible. There's an animal show in the pavilion, Mark, said Lisa, pushing back her blonde hair. McKenna realized he had scheduled an interview with Beth now, a reporter for the L.A. Journal. That would require more than his usual obfuscation to keep her and the rest of the press away from knowledge of Time Portal Alpha. Hello, Mark, called Steve, waving his hand. You mean I'm performing? asked McKenna, snapping out of his thoughts as Lisa laughed while eating her vanilla ice cream cone. If you want, we'll see, added McKenna, taking a deep breath. Actually, I have to meet Beth. 
<laughs> You're not dating her again, are you? Asked Lisa. No, no, she's a reporter for Intel Magazine. She wants an interview. Using you again, said Steve. Just one interview. I hope so, Steve and Lisa said together and laughed. My poster, Daddy, said Jen. Oh, Jen has a poster, Mark, said Steve, as Jen held an orange, yellow, and blue hand-drawn poster with a silhouetted cactus on the darkened hill below. Time is a present, said McKenna. He was stunned that his niece would draw something so close to the nature of Time Portal Alpha's mission. Very good, Jen. I'll take it with me. Good job. As Jen beamed, McKenna's worries centered on Dr. Nico Morrow. Nico's maniacal and evil intent was only matched by his elevated opinion of himself. McKenna tried to shake off the bad feeling he had about the time waves and the haunting presence of the late Dr. Morrow. He glanced at the poster. If Nico were indeed monkeying with time, McKenna did not have the means to stop him. Beth, her dark hair pulled back in place, retained her slim figure. McKenna had not seen her in almost four years, and that was for him to pick up a few ancillary items he left in her condo. She had the appearance of a teenager rather than an adult reporter for the L.A. Journal. McKenna had been warned by Annie that Beth had spent the last few years writing articles and submitting video reports concerning the waste and injustice in government. She wore jeans and a pastel green blazer. He was taken aback when she flashed her straight white teeth. Been some time, Mark, she said as she hugged him longer than she should have. Her nails were painted with metallic blue polish. Or should I say, Commander McKenna, she said in a formal voice. Thanks for meeting with me. Her voice still possessed a touch of irreverence. Maybe the spoiled brat in her. McKenna cautioned himself from making snap judgments. I've heard about your columns, Beth. You mean to familiarize yourself with this nutcase before she interviews you. She wore the same light-scented musk perfume. Now their times together came roaring back into his mind. You seem to have started a new career in exposing the injustices of the world. And you would rather move on and let bygones be bygones. McKenna broke into laughter, which he quickly contained. Something funny? Your dogmatic attitude, some things never change. No doubt she was taken aback. Really? McKenna motioned her over to a wood bench outside the animal show at the pavilion. She came up to his shoulders, and McKenna was 6'2". I uncovered the funding for the Damas group in Lebanon, proving they were a terrorist group, and I showed how the United States Intelligence Services were promoting the group through other agencies. Well, sometimes the outward appearance can be deceiving for a greater good, said McKenna. I don't believe that for a second, Mark. So you have compassion. I'm touched. Oh, don't try and soften me up. Government people do that all the time, Commander McKenna. <laughs> you think this is some kind of joke, don't you? Not at all. What do you want to ask me? Clever, she said, pursing her lips and nodding. There are rumors all around that you were involved with more than just sending missiles through some kind of ether to kill innocent human beings. When did you dream that one up? Asked McKenna, growing annoyed with her attitude. 
It's in the public record. And I didn't just dream it up, as you say. Why would you kill innocent people? I wouldn't. Well, I can see this is going no place fast. Just like their old relationship, McKenna thought. Maybe we should continue this at another time. You are unbelievably arrogant. Arrogance is thinking that you're above someone else. Confidence is knowing that no one is above you. Oh, such a way with words, Mark. You're something else. What did you have to do with Dr. Nico Moro's death? Nothing. I have a source that says you were in Bangkok when he was murdered. Wrong on both counts. Don't you ever admit to anything? No. Morrow hated your guts. He'd do anything to watch you suffer was the quote I got. Quote from whom? asked McKenna. Sorry, confidential. That's the way reporters work, Commander. Reporter? You're a joke. That's enough. I don't need this interview and I'm not taking your crap anymore. You can take your missiles and stick them where the sun don't shine. That's pretty close to the work I'm involved in. She made a noise that sounded like a disgruntled lion cub. You, she bellowed, heading back to the square ahead. I could just say that it's classified, he called out in a loud voice. She stopped and ran her fingers through her hair before she turned back toward McKenna up on the bench. Well, what the hell is so classified? Well, my work doesn't involve shooting missiles at innocent people, Beth. She shuffled back, pretending she wasn't interested in what he was saying. Again, he smiled. I work protecting the American people. There's a stealth element, yes, but there's also risk. For that, I don't regret a day of the five years on this project, and I'm not arrogant. Her skin had a luminescent appearance as she now stood in front of him. Her hair was light, breezy, and raven in color. Again, why were you in Thailand when Dr. Morrow was murdered? Why don't you ask your sources, Ms. Beth? Don't call me that. Even the L.A. Journal knows that. We think Dr. Morrow was restrained inside the hotel by your men, and then you and they leveled it. Death by elements of the intelligence services. Ever think that Dr. Morrow might have gotten away? McKenna laughed. <laughs> Nico is dead. Stop laughing at me. I'm not laughing at you. I actually, for some arcane reason, still like you. As a friend, of course. I don't like you. Her eyebrows had a curvy flare that drew him up to her intense eyes. And stop staring at me like I'm a piece of meat. What? McKenna made a phony, serious face which seemed to tweak her even more. I don't consider Dr. Morrow's death murder. I consider it justice and good for the public. You called him Nico. Why not just Dr. Morrow? I worked for him. I knew him. She pointed at McKenna. It said that you were jealous of Dr. Morrow's work. And when you and he worked together in Texas, it was on a project called Countervail. No comment. But I can't say I respected the doctor's abilities. It was his wild, hateful behavior that got him in trouble. I see. She had the habit of pressing her teeth together. Did you fire a weapon at Dr. Morrow in Thailand? Sorry, classified. Oh, come on, Mark. Either you did or you didn't. What difference does it make? Then you did. She raised her right brow. Too bad Beth was so honorary because she was still a looker. You're very good. She half smiled as if he were a hunk of mustard in a cheese sandwich. 
Do you have a base from where you operate from? Yes. Location? Yes. She squinted. Cut the crap. Yes, ma'am. You're exasperating. His Zeuser alert vibrated in his pocket. McKenna raised his brows. You have a call. Her mouth crunched and she kept shaking her head. Perceptive. Right. Can you excuse me? <laughs> there is no damned excuse, she said, assuming a stance on one leg. McKenna took a few mental snapshots of her stance and backed around a food stand where he positioned himself in an alley next to two towering palm trees. Zuza, open shield. The walkway between the building wavered like the heat rising from a summer highway's asphalt before focusing once he was inside. He merged into the oversea bubble and disappeared to all outsiders. Beth walked around the stand. Had she seen him disappear into the oversea? McKenna kicked the ground, knowing he should have been more careful. His energetic former girlfriend was a persistent woman. McKenna connected via audio to Steuben on Time Portal Alpha. Georgie's. Mark, we're at 40% displacement from Mars. Someone is fiddling with time, I'm convinced of it. Okay. Get everyone back home. McNulty has already ordered everyone back. Station-wide alert. Whatever that means. We've never had one. I have to explain my departure to my brother and his family, and I'm dealing with the ever-pesky Beth Daniels. Ah, the former girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, she's very cute. Oh, God, don't choose a station-wide alert to fall in love again. I just said she was cute. I know what that means, Mark. I'll be back within the hour. Any change, I'll let you know, said Steuben. Behave yourself. McKenna smiled and gazed at Beth, staring between the buildings and probably wondering what had happened to him. Sousa, bring me back to the bench location behind Ms. Daniels. Instantly, he stood at the bench with Beth's back to him at the building corner. Drop shield to oversee. When Beth turned, McKenna stood with his arms crossed and his foot on the bench. Come on, Miss Beth, I'm a busy guy. She looked over her shoulder and then with a contorted face marched back to the bench. How the hell did you just do what you did? Something wrong? Something wrong? She opened her mouth but never said anything. Listen, I've been called away, but I'd be glad to continue the interview when I'm back in the area, perhaps at the observatory below the Hollywood sign. Nice quiet place. I know where it is. You brought me up there enough times. She stared at him. No doubt she had seen him disappear into the oversea. That was a dumb move. Where are you off to, Mark? Let me go with you so I can continue the interview. I'm going back to base. Ah, the mysterious base. I have to bid adieu to my family first. Never married, she asked as she followed him toward the pavilion. McKenna smiled and shook his head. Girlfriend? No, if you haven't noticed, he said, reaching the door, I have a demanding job. And those questions have nothing to do with secret projects, or maybe they do. I saw you disappear over there. Is that what you're into? Some kind of dimensional room? What? asked McKenna, pretending to be astonished. I know what I saw, Mark. She looked at the oversized Zuza. I'll contact Division 6 of the airports. You do that, Beth, and I'll give you an exclusive, I promise. She rolled her eyes and turned as if it were a military drill. 
Her white capri pants accented her lean legs as she started back to the square. Maybe we'll just have dinner, said McKenna, tracking her to the next walkway. Then he sidestepped to the back of the audience inside the pavilion. His entering the shield was now a major problem that she would pursue. Hopefully the waves from Phobos were explainable, and he would be back in Los Angeles real soon. Chapter 2. Above Los Angeles, California, July 10th, 2084. The Legacy of Dr. Nico Morrow. Why should he be worried about Nico? Nothing in the scans indicated Nico had survived the Thailand Inferno. McKenna understood Nico's ambition when he worked with the doctor at Carnival. The entire project was destroyed and backfilled in Texas. Nico's intent was pure evil, as evidenced by a sadistic hatred for those who challenged his methods. McKenna had spoken up to Nico, and Nico claimed he would kill him if he had the chance. The only thing Nico despised more than McKenna was the United States of America. McKenna planted his feet in the grass and looked skyward at the few clouds high above the Los Angeles basin. Zuzer, produce shield. Should he alert McNulty about Beth or merely continue the interview at the observatory? Create carrier platform and plot path to time portal alpha. As he entered the oversee, the late afternoon light wavered for a few seconds as he crossed over to the dimension. The brown carrier platform emerged, and McKenna sat on the inside bench surround. Begin ascent to time portal alpha. Platform movement always began slowly. A sense of gravity was infused into the bubble, and air flowed from the lifters below the platform. McKenna gazed over Los Angeles's wide suburban stretch from the towering San Gabriels down to Long Beach. The smog drifted out toward San Jacinto and Palm Springs. He smiled as he thought about Beth and laughed about her getting riled. He leaned forward and panned the freeway system lacing through suburbia. The blue Pacific on the left formed a horizon line and the sun-reflective skyscrapers seemed to move away from the ever-speeding platform. McKenna rested his arms on the platform lip as the blue-green space horizon line formed. The piercing yellow sun cast a luminous glow across his face, while the deeper, widening oversea bubble, a dimension within a dimension, pushed outward toward time portal alpha. It was essential that the bubble be in a neutral time sector in case someone disrupted the present timeline. Earth moved away quickly as the platform swung in a wide arc around a pastel-surfaced, mushroom-like station positioned 2,317 miles above the Earth. Lights from the cabins and research area lit and glowed in deep space. He soon hovered over the docking door and the platform magnetically locked into place. The hatchway opening formed in the platform floor and McKenna scrambled down the ladder into the darkened perch. He glanced out over the window span and entered the elevator. McKenna spoke into his Zusa. Steuben, who's on board from the team? Lieutenant Commander McGrath is here, as well as Lieutenant Ryan. Rasputin is leaving within the hour. Cam is not within range. Find that kid, Georgies. One more thing before you get to the hub. McKenna stepped onto the ramp leading below. Beth. What about her? She saw your entrance into the shield at the amusement park. I thought I might convince her otherwise. No, you didn't. 
Admiral McNulty and security won't see it that way back in Maryland, said Steuben as the doors closed. McKenna started down the ramp and the stars twinkled outside the surrounding window span. What does that mean? It means that she may have to be brought aboard Time Portal Alpha. She's irrelevant. Maybe so, but our displacement experiments with the timeline is classified. I'll bet my next year's salary that we never have to travel back to correct disruptions in time. McKinnon and Steuben stepped into the hub area with a round command table. She is a threat to expose Time Portal Alpha, said Steuben. McKenna headed for his cabin. Let her try. I'll talk to McNulty. The sloping windows overlooked the pockmarked gray moon, the ocean blue earth, and the brilliant sun behind them. The hub looked more like a lounge area with sofas and lengthy tables. McKenna, now in a blue sport jersey and light pants, brought a containment bottle of tea over to the pancake-faced Annie Ryan. She had cat eyes and a wide saucer smile. Shouldn't be putting moves on the vulnerable ex-girlfriends, Mark. She sipped the tea and smiled and then she peered over her containment bottle. Naughty, naughty. McKenna fully laughed. If I was moving in on Beth, we wouldn't be talking about having security bring her up here. Uh-huh. She did look kind of cute, though, Annie. Famous last words, said the tall McGrath, holding a soft drink. McKenna held Jen's drawing. Drawing in your spare time, Mark? asked Annie. My best effort, actually, it's from my niece, Jen, said McKenna. Time is a present. Amazing Jen talked about that, given our time experiments, said McKenna. In with what that crackpot Nico is trying to do to the timeline. Annie taped the poster under the reality windows to the left of her station. McKenna smiled. Then he flipped on a local monitor depicting the green Phobos waves still at low level pulsing over Mars and into the solar system. It's not natural, but why are we assuming it's Nico? There were other members of Countervale who disappeared with the overseas technology. Nico's ego would not allow any of them to displace time, said the bearded Steuben as he walked with a drink in hand. You know, Georges has a point. McNulty has three probes heading to Phobos, said Annie. No offense to Admiral Slowpoke, but it'll take 90 days to get to target. McGrath stroked his full Manchu mustache. Possibly why Nico would select a distant area. Kenna pursed his lips as he sat back in the chair. He briefly looked up at the Big Dipper in the starry window span above him. What about the rovers and ground units on Mars? They're waiting for orders to scan the sky to Phobos, said Steuben. But Mark, whether it's Nico or somebody else, they're not going to showcase their overseas project. McKenna clenched his fist. How can he be alive anyway? He can't, said the bearded Rasputin wearing his velvet dark cloak. Part of his body was found in Thailand with his ring. You saw it. No one could survive the internal temperatures when the place started burning. McKenna looked up. Just arrived from Mount Olympus, Rasputin? Rasputin half smiled and his blue eyes sparkled. If you mean the Library of Congress, Mark, the answer is yes. Rasputin likes the inner world, added Annie, sipping her tea. Then perhaps, said the lanky Rasputin as he moved down the spiral stairs. The inner world stretches far beyond the outer world.
Yeah, well, boredom has a price, said McGrath on the outside ramp. Boredom for you, Mr. McGrath, said Rasputin. Then he turned to McKenna as he reached the lower level. He extended his hand. I feel as if the time disturbance is pure evil. You mean evil in its possibility? No, Mark, evil. We'd better hope it's not, Nico. Amen to that, said Steuben. Team was assembled four years ago because Nico brought his knowledge of countervail into his own demented world after he was let go. Demented is an apropos word, said Rasputin, walking over to the counter. He poured himself a cup of hot water, then poured the contents of a small conical container into the water. The water turned blue. What is that? asked McKenna, sniffing the concoction. A Chinese herbal combination with a sprinkling of my own private mixture. McKenna was about to comment, but instead he walked over to Steuben. I'm going to ask all of you a question before we talk to the Admiral, and it will relate to your own expertise. I'll start with you, Georgies. Question is, these waves, are they purposely being sent or are they a malfunction? Steuben's coal eyes open wide. From a functional perspective, I believe the Phobos waves are leaking outward. If someone were going to prepare a craft to move through time, you wouldn't detect waves until such a journey commenced. And those waves would be at a much more intense level. Pulses would be fast, the waves would seem to buzz. Or the waves could be a diversion, said Rasputin bluntly. McKenna stared at him and then pointed at Annie. Well, what do you have to say, Annie? When I run the equations, I find something odd. A mixture of pulses, 1.75 centimeters. That, sir, matches the pulsing jets from the stolen Texas equipment from five years ago. Good work. Annie smiled with a temple salute. McKenna turned to the mustache McGrath. Will, what do you think? Strategically, placing a project away from the confines of Earth on Phobos is a brilliant move. You know how long it's going to take to get one of those missiles out there? If the waves are leaking, then a major miscalculation may have been made. Maybe something unavoidable. We best keep monitoring the waves, even for the smallest changes. Thank you, Will. I was saving this speech for when Cam arrives, which could be any time in the next ten years, he said as everyone laughed, knowing Cam's propensity to party. This facility was designed to protect humanity from simply changing our mutually inherited timeline. I can't stress enough what this means. Because we're in the oversee, if somebody changes the timeline, we'll be witness to the change outside. Now the odds of such a thing occurring, the odds are 10,000 to 1, said Annie, against someone other than us displacing time. I'd like to head down the racetrack before I buck them odds, said Annie in a countrified accent. McKenna looked at each of them individually as he spoke. In other words, somebody may be fiddling with traveling back to change time, but actually doing that is still a 10,000 to 1 proposition. Steuben nodded. Even for us. Sure, we've sent back probes and Space Force has the schooner for us, but like Cam has always said, McNulty has only run simulations. The miraculous schooner said Annie, a modified 797 with no wings. Right, the schooner is untested. I'll take the 10,000 to 1 probability against someone presently tampering with time, said McKenna. We all signed on to this project to actually go back and forth in time. 
Well, it's been a milk run, Mark. I believe the odds are sometimes an aberration in themselves, said Rasputin. Perhaps a journey will take place. Oh, you're such a mystic, Rasputin, said Annie. Thank you, Annie. By all rights, said McKenna, pivoting with his hands on his hips. I knew there might be a possibility, albeit a 10,000 to 1 possibility, that something might happen that would require us to go back and fix what some psycho from Counterbill might have wrought. Annie set down her tea and clapped. Oh, I'm glad you approved, Lieutenant. Actually, I think we all feel that way, Mark, said McGrath. Admiral is on channel, said Steuben, checking his oozer. McKenna turned toward the screen. Ah, Daddy Longlegs is back in town, said Annie with the containment bottle at her lips. Everyone stood to attention in front of the screen. Admiral McNulty, a tall man with an extraordinary quaff of white hair, saluted from Maryland as he walked in front of the monitor. Daddy, I must say I'm rather stunned by what we are monitoring from Phobos. We're prepared, sir. Are you? Asked McNulty, walking closer on the screen. Or do you just feel these waves are an abnormality? I suppose that's possible, Admiral, answered McKenna. What about the station vessel? In my records, I see the last time the vehicle was tested for simulation was a month ago. That's unacceptable. Yes, sir. You will begin testing all aspects of possible travel through the oversea. Yes, sir. Secondly, Mr. Steuben, are the cold fusion magnetic pods and pivoting magnetic interlocks ready to power the schooner through the oversea? The engines need testing, sir. Exactly. The Admiral spun around to Annie. Lieutenant Commander Ryan, your computer algorithms tell you about navigation back to a focal point in town. Well, I need to work on that, sir. And Lieutenant Commander Meyer. He said, calling Rasputin by his legal name. What is your opinion of the possible historical focal points in time? Would a possible time traveler attack in order to change history? Where would he go? To a point that would substantially displace the current version of reality, sir. I have been in the National Archives and the Library of Congress and have drawn up position papers for regressively understanding the internal and external projections as applied to our way of life. Nelty stared at the bearded Rasputin and then broke into laughter. Either you're the world's premium bullshit or you're a genius. Genius, sir answered Rasputin. I see, said the stunned McNulty. McKenna held a smile until the Admiral turned toward him. Commander, you will begin a complete checklist and testing of the entire Time Portal Alpha system. Yes, sir, I'll begin assembling the checklist at once. McNulty's blue eyes focused on McKenna before he spoke. Have it to me by 2200 hours tomorrow evening and bring that reporter to Time Portal Alpha. Besides being your former girlfriend, she's a security risk. He saluted, marched away, and the screen went blank. Well, that was lovely, said McKenna. Beth is going to flip out. Annie turned to Rasputin. What now, genius? Rasputin grinned. I suggest we get to work. My apologies, Rasputin, said McKenna as he put his hand on the larger man's shoulder. Apparently you were the only one doing your job. No, I am the only one obsessed and possessed by my job. Well, look what the cat dragged in. 
I was delayed, sir. I'm sorry. He had short hair and his upper jersey was torn. Cam walked across the upper deck and slid halfway down the rail of the spiral stairs. There were people after me in Buenos Aires. Did you ask for permission to travel to Argentina? Asked McKenna. I was trailing a Nico member of Countervale, sir. David Forrestal. Why was Forrestal in Argentina? Asked McKenna as the others gathered closer. Because the remnants of Countervale want him dead. He had information on Nico's allies. I think he was about to betray Nico. McKenna squinted as Steuben stepped forward. Is Nico alive? Unknown, Georgies. But Intel says they're alive in a hidden location. Where's Forrestal now? Asked McGrath. Dead. What? Demanded McKenna. Group of men chased us down the boulevard early in the morning. I was driving an old Renault. They forced us down a gully. We flipped and Forrestal's neck was broken. I got out of the car around 15 minutes ago and produced a shield. Rasputin, run medical tests on Cameron. And shower up, Cam. We're going to be running simulations on the schooner. I sense an injury. I'll be all right, said Cam. Treat it. We're doing a complete test of the system for Minelti. If I could speak frankly, Commander, said Cam. Absolutely. Sir, all we've been doing since we arrived here four years ago is tests. Right now, let's just pacify Daddy Longlegs. Chapter 3, Time Portal Alpha, July 15th, 2084. What time is it anyway? McKenna had been told by every member of his team that during the last week, the time displacement near Phobos had severely weakened. He shook his head as he sat at the system's computer screen. Every system, every computer, and even the clear span surrounding the platform were brought, as per McNulty's orders, to a pristine solidarity. You ever hear of a pristine solidarity, Rasputin? I began a search back to even the ancients, and there is no expression called a pristine solidarity. A McNulty original, said Cam, wiping his face with a dry cloth. Even the toilets have a pristine solidarity. McKenna smiled as he looked down the long maintenance bay. Glad to see you're earning your keep, Cam. Cam grinned and nodded. Yeah, it's so clean, I'm afraid to even use the facilities, said Annie. What about the computers, Annie? asked McKenna. Everything is as new as it was when Time Portal Alpha was built five years ago, she said, walking over to Steuben. And how are your schooner engines, Mr. Steuben? Engines are at optimum for what? For simulation? Ah, that is the premier question, Georgies. For what? McNulty and the conferring group of officers agreed with McKenna that the disturbance near Phobos was an aberration. The probes had yielded nothing visual or at the energy level of the last 10 days. McKenna's team split up that evening and McKenna just needed the clearance from McNulty to leave Time Portal Alpha and to meet with Beth. Bringing her back to Time Portal Alpha was a national security issue, according to McNulty, because of her ability to dig for more answers about the project. She already hated McKenna and would be furious when he brought her back to Time Portal Alpha. McKenna sipped on a coffee and donut as he stood near a cafe counter overlooking Earth, half in the shadow of night in the last few hours of sunlight over California and the Pacific coast. She would not be happy 
about being brought to Time Portal Alpha. At least the Phobos readings had all but vanished. Later, as he waited for McNulty's message, McKenna spoke to his brother on a viewer in his downtown L.A. office. He continued to nibble on a vanilla cream donut. They talked about Steve's job and then about McKenna returning to Los Angeles. So what I'm saying, Steve, is that I'm wrapped up in something. An unknown mission in an unknown location. Here, I have Jen and Scooter on the line, Mark. Great, answered McKenna. Hi, Uncle Mark. Hi, Uncle Mark. Are you coming back this weekend? Maybe before that, Jen. She smiled at Scooter. Can we go back to the clogger? We'll see, said Steve in the background. When do you think you'll be back, Mark? Steve, I have to meet with Beth. Oh, Beth, Beth, Beth. Where are you meeting? Griffith Observatory. Well, it's a clear day, almost evening, said Steve. You'll see the whole L.A. basin. Maybe we should bring the kids up this weekend. If it's clear and no smog. Exactly. My superior should give me clearance momentarily, Steve, and I'll talk to you then. Bye, Mark, said Steve. McKenna finished the donut and threw the coffee cup into the trash. He would tell Beth the truth about Time Portal Alpha, bring her back through the shield, and then let McNulty deal with it from Maryland. McKenna stepped from the overseer and onto a hillside below a fence. He quickly vaulted the fence rail and walked toward the white building in the center with a dark dome and two smaller domes that overlooked downtown Los Angeles and the packed surrounding basin. He crossed the white walkways between the grass toward a central obelisk. A set of stairs led to an oversized green door, but McKenna veered onto the ramp to the left. Beth had told him they would meet on one of the balconies next to the telescope. She wore a simple light blazer and blue capris. Her long dark hair furrowed in the breeze. She carried a computer pad and gazed across the city streets. Thank you for coming, Beth. She spoke with her back toward him. This is a spectacular view, Mark. I can see Santa Catalina. And there's Long Beach. Perhaps I should write about this view in my piece. You mean adding perspective? She turned and her deep eyes were heightened in the evening sunlight and her face framed by her raven hair. There has to be a reason why we're up here, Mark. Not that I object, but I guess there's a certain quietude. She meandered over to him as the breeze pushed up from the basin. Who the hell are you, Mark McKenna? McKenna paused as he followed the Pacific shoreline in the distance. The basin was loaded with foliage and inundated with packed houses, swimming pools, and businesses. The freeway curved out toward Pasadena, and another one dissected the buildings and trees directly toward Mount San Jacinto to the east. I am the team leader. She smiled. Oh, really? A team leader of what? A classified project. Why are you telling me this, team leader, Commander Mark McKenna? Sounds like the usual canned classified answer to me. We are a monitoring station. Monitoring what? She asked. Disruptions? I'm surprised you're meeting with me again. Monitoring what? She repeated. McKenna pressed his lips, scratched his neck, and panned the basin and skyscrapers downtown. Okay, my project was set up to engage dimensional reverses, advance time travel, and to monitor a group of individuals led by Dr. Nico Moro. 
she set the padded tablet on her forearm. What was Morrow's real claim to fame? We were all involved in theoretical algorithms to see if altering the timeline was possible. She tilted her head and crunched her face. It was purely a defensive measure against Morrow or anyone having that ability. Sounds bizarre and no one's going to buy it. You, Mark, have quite the story and I'm not sure I want to waste my time. We were successful in a minor way. The problem is that Morrow was a sick individual and would have liked nothing better than to alter, said McKenna as he swung his hand across the Los Angeles Vista, the existing reality. She dropped the tablet to her side now. I don't appreciate having my time compromised. Zuzer, he said, making sure no one was around. Form shield. The shield's linear frame formed near the wall. McKenna walked inside the overseer. He could hear her yelling. What, what the hell is that, Mark? Her eyes opened wide as he had surely disappeared. Sousa, drop shield. Here I am. Nice trick. What's the game? And what is Zusa? Conrad Zeus was a German and lived in the 20th century. Zeus constructed the functional program controlled the Turing Complete Z3 in May of 1941. He was the first. The device I have controls functions seen and unseen and manipulates matter. It is a focal point to open the Oversee, which is an artificially constructed timeline. The Oversee, in an added dimension, exists outside our reality. Zuzer, the device, was named as a tribute to him. I said to myself, he's going to sling it, so just endure it. It's the truth, and you'll see. What do you mean, I'll see, she said. Let's try another approach, Commander. Your parents live back east, and your brother's family's here in L.A. Correct. I have cousins back east also, said McKenna. You worked it. Step over here, said McKenna. Why? I'm going to show you how I disappeared, said McKenna. Ah, the magician gives away his tricks. I'll be sure to insert the word prestidigitation into my blog. You do that. Zuza, shield around both of us. Form platform. The shield formed and the outside basin became slightly wavy before focusing. Beth gripped the top edges of the platform. She turned toward downtown L.A. What is this? Exactly what I told you. You are within the Obersee. The what? Obersee. You are in a parallel dimension. I don't know what this is, but don't insult my intelligence, McKenna. Zusa, construct a quadrant journey above the city. Oh my god, she said as they moved up vertically. Oh, another neat trick, I think. This is insane. McKenna studied the hill below the observatory. I've always found the city fascinating. Look at the sheer number of people and houses, all the cars and freeways. This is just another way of transportation, said Beth. No, this is a safe zone should the timeline change. Look, just bring me back. It all comes to life down there. Los Angeles buzzing with 15 million plus people spread over 502 square miles. You're not listening to me. I want to go back. This mode of travel is actually safer than walking down the street. She continued to grip the platform edge. 
as she looked over the freeways below. Who cares? You're playing games with your highfalutin technology. Where is your base? You mean Time Portal Alpha. A monitoring station 2,500 miles over Earth in the overseas. Oh, really? And I suppose your extraterrestrial team is up there, too. An all-human team, only eight people. He pointed down at the ocean. Santa Monica and the Ferris wheel by the beach. Frazzled, she gazed back to the hill behind the observatory. If I wanted to see the Hollywood sign from the air, I would have hired a chopper. McKenna pointed across the water to a darkened rise offshore. Catalina is out there, 26 miles. Long Beach over there. Do you believe me now? No, I just don't know how you're accomplishing this. And the beautiful Los Angeles skyline against the San Gabriel Mountains from this perspective. Let's say you are telling the truth, and thus I know the truth. Why would you let me go? McKenna raised his brows. That's it, isn't it? You are very bright, Beth. If I was bright, I never would have tried to interview you. You knew too much back at the amusement park. You saw me enter the overseas. No, I saw nothing. You saw it. It's my fault. First of all, I believe this sky tour of LA is some new military concoction. It's a nifty little ride and should be confined to the amusement park. We are really in the overseas, said McKenna. He brought the platform to a downtown and weaved in between the skyscrapers. What'll I have to do to convince you, Beth? Okay, Mark, I'm calling your bluff. That is, if I don't get seasick, bring me to your time portal alpha. That is my intention. Oh, sure it is, she said, peering down intently at the skyscrapers and street below. This is like flying on the top of a drone. she just finished speaking when McKenna sensed static electricity crackling on his arms and clothes. Beth swiped her arm several times. Do you feel that? Yes, what is it? I don't know, said McKenna as his Zusa sounded. Oh, he doesn't know, like I'm supposed to know, said Beth. Steuben's voice came through. Mark, an event is taking place. What is it? Who in God's name is that, she asked. Where's the transmitter? I just talked with Rasputin. He can't explain it. There are no waves or energy levels, but we do notice some sensation with the aberrant electrons. I have static electricity here, too. You best return to base now, Mark. Georgies, does this have anything to do with Nico? Nothing near Phobos. We'll figure it out, Mark. Okay, I'll join you in a few minutes. Beth turned. This whole thing is ridiculous. Where is he? Exactly where I told you. We'll be there in a few minutes. Then what? I don't know, Beth. I don't know. The reflective skyscraper's smooth facade became more opaque than reflective. Minute cracks, as if something were freezing the facade into fractures, appeared over the window streets. North, toward Mount Wilson and the San Gabriel Range, a sweeping faint red hue spread like blood from an open wound across the landscape. Even the Hollywood sign behind the observatory no longer existed. Georgie, something is changing on the ground. Up here, too, a red shift of the sun, and the earth has an odd purple tinge. We're outside that timeline. I'm staying here to observe. Mark, don't be a fool. Get 
back here now. I need to see the change close up. McKenna out. What is this? asked Beth. A low, pervasive hum unnerved McKenna. Makes no sense. Earthquake? McKenna shook his head. No. To his astonishment, the buildings collapsed into infinitesimal pieces, and a red linear plane punctuated the ensuing darkness. Out of sheer panic, Beth hung on to McKenna. Within half a minute, an entirely new set of buildings, none as high as the regular Los Angeles skyline, blinked into existence. It's a realignment, Georgies! Bob, this is Rasputin. Timeline has been changed with no warning. No readings, nothing. Are you telling me someone went back in time and changed our history? Asked Beth as her hands shook. This is Annie Mark. Her voice was constrained. I'm getting reports on audio and video of stations and people that never existed. July 15th. 2084. He checked the basin beyond the buildings. There were extensive areas of orchards, farms, and small towns. More farms hugged the Los Angeles River as it swung from the mountains down to Long Beach. There were only two freeways, one leading east and one constructed north to south. He looked to his right, paralleling the freeway by San Jacinto. Annie, what is that pipeline by San Bernardino past San Jacinto? Scans as a water pipeline extending to the Colorado River. They get a certain amount of gallons per day. Population of Los Angeles is 600,000. A medium-sized city, Mark. Apparently the outer towns are independent. Said Steuben. Cities that once existed are gone. McKenna's face fell, stuck in incredulity as he stared at Long Beach Harbor. A rough estimate showed the amount of ships and cargo to be minimal. Then he swung to the right. No Disney in Anaheim. There are real changes down there, Mark, said Rasputin. The United States is a second or third-rate country. China and the European Federation extends into colonies in Africa, and they are the major powers in the world. This is unbelievable. It's all changed down there. Sousa. Bring the platform down to ground level. Mark, come back to base, said Steuben. The platform moved swiftly along the rows of fluffy green-orange trees across the outwashed plain. What the hell happened? asked Beth. Nothing is the answer. Why? I have no idea. Zusa, bring me over to the San Gabriel River. Georgies, I'm moving over to the San Gabriel River. We see you, Mark. The river flowed nearly dry in a concrete spillway. A number of linear, light-colored buildings traced the river south toward Long Beach. More cattle, farms, and rows of crops extended along the sides. But the trees and the grass covered the ground less than a few miles to the east, where the landscape petered to scrubby brush and some trees toward the mountains. Extraordinary, said Rasputin. It's beyond that, said McKenna. Only an evil, corrupt, and amoral mind could destroy a civilization. Sousa, bring me over to that pipeline. Why do you call him Rasputin? McKenna gawked at Beth and wondered why this was the only thing on her mind when everything else had collapsed into an economic disaster. Beth leaned with her hands on the edge as they ascended 200 feet higher. The rusted steel pipeline crossed the scrub desert 
from Mount San Jacinto near Palm Springs, but he did not see the sign on the narrow concrete freeway for Palm Springs. The pipeline moved westward across the river toward the compact city called Los Angeles. It has to be Nico, growled McKenna. Then he raised his voice. He got his wish. He went back in time. And in some well thought out and demented plan, he diminished the United States. Where is he now? Archive 488, alternative timeline, September 11th, 2084. I write an incredible entry from an altered timeline. To recap, Admiral McNulty ordered me back to Los Angeles in the original timeline to escort Beth Daniels through the overseas back to Time Portal Alpha. During that journey, the entire Los Angeles basin was transformed before my eyes. Where once was a thriving megalopolis, there exists a much smaller and poorer city. Water is no longer piped into the city from multiple aqueducts, but from a single, unmaintained pipeline from the Colorado River. The United States has been subordinated to a third-rate power in the world. I don't know how this came to be, and further, I am not sure my archive reports will ever reach the original timeline. It's clear to me and the members of my crew that the center of this transformation was the time displacement waves emanating from the Martian moon Phobos. We all agree that either Dr. Nico Moro or members of his countervail team are responsible for this tragedy. Our only hope is to locate the source of the transformation on the timeline and return via an untested schooner vehicle through time to prevent the changing of history. They're all gone now. My family, everyone I knew, gone. With the so-called demise of McKenna's nemesis, Dr. Nico Morrow, and McKenna's old girlfriend, Beth, snooping around about his work, a tampering of the timeline is observed. With the possibility of Nico still being alive and threatening all reality, McKenna's crew begins scanning for the doctor around Mars's moon, Phobos. Admiral McNulty then orders a simulated trip in the Obersea. Where in time would Nico or anyone travel to change everything? McKenna talks with his niece, nephew, and brother Steve via communications. But he is ordered by Admiral McNulty to bring Beth aboard Time Portal Alpha because she has seen him enter the Obersea. And then it happens. Time is changing. The LA Basin is being transformed into a new timeline. Everything now has changed. I'm Robert P. Fitton, coming back next week to see what Mark McKenna and his crew do about this horrific situation. Good evening. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz dash pizzazz dot com.